Great. Uh, glad you guys are here in this room. Um, everyone should have an outline. We're going to be looking at technology, um, why as Christians we should think about technology, how as Christians we should think about technology, and how as Christians we should use technology. Um, so obviously in 2019 we are in a high-tech society in the West, in America here. So technology is an unavoidable reality at this point, and we don't want to adopt uh, either extreme of being kind of like a super anti, like let's get back to nature and you know, like let's not drive cars. Uh, in fact, I did a road trip when I was in college uh, with Merrill and another buddy, and we drove up to uh, New York from Austin. Straight shot, no stops. Made it in 23 hours. On the way in Pennsylvania, we noticed a town. Okay, now this is, we had an actual atlas in the car, like, you know, paper, uh, staples. I don't know if people have seen like a map. These were maps, this is an actual map. It's where Google Maps got the idea. So um, I had one, I had one and I, I whipped it out and we're just, you know, scanning around. And we saw a town on the map in Pennsylvania called New Jerusalem. So I was like, that would be pretty, pretty cool to swing in. And then you could always say, you know, well, I've actually already been to the New Jerusalem. <laughs> and uh, you could tell people, you know. <laughs> so we did. We drove to New Jerusalem. And I've got this picture right behind entering New Jerusalem. And, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of doing like this. <clears throat> and it was, an Amish, it was an Amish settlement. It was an Amish settlement. So, you know, the Amish... Uh, they, they don't embrace technology, and they have their reasons for doing that, which I'm, I don't oppose their reasons, but um, we don't necessarily want to be Amish, going back to the horse and, and buggy and, uh, you know, just hand-carving hand uh, rocking chairs that you can have on your front porch. And we also don't want to just drink the Kool-Aid, quote-unquote, fully embrace without critical thought any and every technological development that comes our way, because we're going to see uh, today that uh, technology um, is good, but it can also become bad. So uh, that's, uh, you know, definitely simplifying the situation. So anyways, uh, this is just uh, one, op one opportunity here to consider together uh, technology as believers in Christ. And um, we're not going to be able to cover everything uh, or every question that would arise. But hopefully after tonight, you'll have a good overview and a good... Um, way to approach technology, okay? So let's look at this title. We got technology, provision, or problem? Technology, provision, or problem? Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay, so let's, let's just jump right into this. Why, as Christians, do we need to think about technology? I just wanted to throw a few quotes on here. These are uh, quotes from um, experts in various fields. Uh, so quote number one here, let's look at this. Technology at root is an aspect of anthropology. Isn't that an interesting quote? Have you ever thought about technology in this light? Technology is really just an aspect of anthropology. And what is anthropology? It's the study of the image of God. That's what anthropology is. Anthropology is the study of the image of God in human beings. It's the study of man. But man is made in the image of God. So in studying humans, we are studying God's image. And since technology is an aspect of anthropology, when we think about technology, we are thinking about what does it mean to be human in whatever stage of technological development our society is in. Technology affects us as humans, and technology may either enhance our humanity, our being in the image of God, it may 
create new opportunities to express that, or it may seriously distort our humanity and, in, in that sense, uh, damage the image of God. So thinking about technology is, is just hand, it goes hand in hand with thinking about the modern human situation. And human beings were created to know and experience of God, know, to know and experience God, and humans were created to carry out God's purpose. And if we understand technology, technology radically impacts this. Okay? So technology is an aspect of anthropology. And, you know, as Christians, we should be intensely interested, intensely interested in humans, intensely interested in humanity. So I've got this verse here. I didn't write it down. Acts 17, 23. Paul is there in Athens, and he, it says he is carefully observing. He says, I was walking around town, carefully observing the objects of your worship. And so... As Christians, we want to carefully observe the objects that are, that are in our society. And, and so, we want to observe them so that we can minister in an impactful way to the people in our society. Okay, did you, so you understand that? And technology is always an extension of the self. Technology is always an extension of the self. Think about it. What's a fork? It's very primitive technology, right? A fork is an extension of your hand, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's one example. What is a car? Car is an extension of your feet and your arms, right? So Fred Flintstone, he was literally uh, pedaling his car with his feet. Uh, but we're doing the same thing. Our car is just an extension of our arms and our feet. Well, what is our iPhone? What's our smartphone? What is this an extension of? It's an extension of our mind and it's an extension of our heart. We'll see. We'll see later. So the iPhone is, uh, was rated by Time magazine as the most uh, influential uh, gadget of all time. Most influential gadget of all time. And if we understand that our phones, our smartphones, are extensions of ourself, one, one, uh, one professional, one psychologist said, this, you can think of the, the personal computer as the second self. And so we should think of our phones as our second self. It's you. This is you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the thumbs tweet. <laughs> I'm serious. This is, we're going to look at this later. This is whatever you see on your screen. You know what you're looking at? An extension of your mind and an extension, I would say a visualization of your heart. You may not know what's in your mind. You may not know what's in your heart. Just look at your screen. Whatever is because of you on that screen is an extension of your mind and your heart. And obviously, this is part and parcel of being human in 2019. So we want to think about technology critically because it affects the human image of God. Okay, number two. Why do we need to think about technology as Christians? Let's read this one together. It's a famous, famous quote here. Number two. Ready, set, go. We shape our tools, and thereafter our tools shape us. Okay, so somebody said this, I think, in the 60s or so. Um, this is a famous uh, cultural technological critic. He says, we shape our tools, thereafter our tools shape us. So we need to think, how is our tools shaping us? We shape the smartphone, and then the smartphone shapes us. It shapes how we spend our time. It shapes how we think. It shapes our ability to think. 
It shapes our interpersonal relations. It shapes our, um, our embodied presence together. It shapes everything about us. And it shapes us maybe in very, very uh, profound ways. So we want to think about, um, is technology helping us, the, helping us become the persons we're made to be? Is technology helping us become the persons we were made to be? And we need to, on the one hand, we're going to see this. On the one hand, we need to be extremely thankful for technology. And we're going to see that the Lord sovereignly guides technological development. I mean, aren't you glad you didn't have to walk here today? You used technology to get here. You drove a car. Aren't you glad, you know, it didn't take you all day to wash your clothes yesterday? You could get it done in two hours. So technology shapes us, shapes how we spend our time, shapes what is possible with our time. But it could be a positive shaping or it could be a negative shaping. And so technology always makes our life easier. But the question we want to think about is, is it making our life better? And, you know, all you got to do is a few times read the comment section on, uh, you know, YouTube or anything. And, you know, you pretty much see the bottom barrel of humanity, right? Okay, so technology is shaping people to communicate freely, to feel no, no, no problem in communicating in that way. So one famous German-Italian philosopher, this guy's name is Romano Gardini. He said, technology should always be judged by one question and one standard. Does the technology make us more or less human? This is the question we should always judge technology by. Does it make us more or less human? Does the smartphone make us more or less human? And it depends. It depends. We'll see. It depends. The, the tool, in a sense, is neutral, but the user of the tool uh, is being shaped, and based on uh, how that person is being shaped, it can make them more or less human. So listen to this. Listen to this question. Is my, is my smartphone usage shaping me into somebody with the character to serve the Lord? Is my smartphone usage shaping me into the, to a person with the character to serve the Lord? Now, there's this famous book uh, by a guy named Watchman E called The Character of the Lord's Worker. And I was just thinking over these, these chapter titles that he has in this book. And I was just thinking, wow. I mean, he wrote this like in the 40s yeah. or something, in the 40s. And you read this in 2019 thinking about how our smartphone has shaped us. And every one of these chapters is relevant to how we're being shaped. You know what his first chapter title for being a for what kind of character the Lord's worker needs, which hopefully deep in our heart, all of us have some level of aspiration to be a worker of the Lord, a, a co-worker with God, to be carry to be a person carrying out his purpose. The first qualification and characteristic he listed in this book for the character of the Lord's worker was a good listener. Yeah. Now think about it. How much has our smartphones shaped us in our listening ability? We're, we're with people distracted. We're, you know, we're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Wait, what'd you say? <laughs> Character of the Lord's worker, number one. I'll just read a few out of these. Number two, a lover of man. <laughs> is your smartphone usage increasing your love of man? Or is it just a chance to rail in, you know, anonymity, you know, anonymous railing against, you know, people you despise? Having a mind to suffer, you know, having a mind to suffer. Is your smartphone, is that helping you develop a mind to suffer? Or are you, uh, as somebody recently said in a message I was listening to, 
Are we, are we forming a collection of narcissistic wimps? In other words, it's just selfies and, you know, positive affirmation. And, and then if I'm out there as a missionary in some country, I just have no ability to suffer. I need constant, constant validation, affirmation, only hearts and thumbs up, you know? Well, you may be in a situation with radical hostility to the gospel and you're getting zero human affirmation. And have you been shaped in a way that you even have the capacity to endure suffering? Or are you going to turn around and go home? Diligent, restrained, restrained. Think about that. Tweeting, commenting, you know, Reddit. Not characterized usually by the word restraint. Uh, stable, not subjective. So anyways, this is just something to think about. Is my smartphone usage shaping me into somebody with the character to serve the Lord? Our tools shape us after we shape them. Okay, number three. This is all just intro. Number three. Uh, let's read this one together. It's another quote by David F. Noble. Let's read number three. Ready, set, go. Technological, Technological enterprise. Yeah, suffuse is like another word for like permeated. You know, it's suffused. It's just totally saturated. So isn't that an interesting quote? The technological enterprise has been and remains suffused with what? Religious belief. This is in a book called The Religion of Technology. The Religion of Technology. Okay, so as an example of this, we gotta, we gotta understand the makers of technology, they have a certain vision of what it means to be human and what, it, what human flourishing looks like. And they embody these, these religious ideals in the tools they make, and then unconsciously, we may not, also, we may not share those religious beliefs, but if our tools are shaping us, they may shape our tools into idols for us because they have these religious beliefs suffused within them. So as an example, the early Apple logo, okay? We got the Apple logo right here. But the early Apple logo had one extra design on that. Does anybody know what the early Apple logo, right? We got the, uh, what is this? What is this? Yeah, this is a biblical illusion right here. Did you ever think of it like that? This is the bitten apple. The Bible never says it's an apple. But this is the forbidden fruit that's been bitten. Did you know that? Yeah, that's what the Apple logo is. The early Apple logo had the bitten apple with something slapped on top of it. It had the rainbow. You can go Google this later. It had the rainbow slapped. In other words, the bitten apple was colored with the rainbow. The rainbow is also a biblical illusion. Where does the rainbow come in? The rainbow is God's promise to not judge man again after the flood of Noah. Okay, do you see a little religious belief here? What, would it, what could it mean that in a computer company chose their logo with two m biblical illusions merging into one, the forbidden fruit which brought the curse upon man and the promised blessing of God to never judge the world again? A lot of people have commented on this and they say that what Apple was saying was that technology has the promise to reverse the curse. Technology brings the promise to reverse the curse. In other words, technology can ultimately save us from the mortal human frailty that stamps all of our experiences. Eventually, the curse was death. And now you have people like Elon Musk saying, I want to download my brain onto a computer. And, and eventually, death will just, you know, death is just a performance failure. You know, your body, it's just, it's just a solution that we can overcome. We can, 
use technology to overcome death, and this is this is in technology. Okay, so um, again, we may, you know I don't think anyone in this room uh, subscribes to that kind of religious idea, right? You know, technology we're going to become transhumans, right? Transhumanism, and we're going to overcome death and all physical limitations and become God, you know. But our smartphones do in a very real way, rival God to us, okay? Let's think about it like this. Our iPhones are increasingly omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Omnipresent, they're always with us. You got this thing with you at all times, in all places. Oops. Rivaling God, right? Rivaling God's presence. Listen to this, the, the GPS on the iPhone has 30,000 ti 30, times the processing speed of the computer that was on the Apollo 11 lunar missions. So the thing that was steering that spaceship to the moon, your GPS has 30,000 times the power. Omnipotent, you know, so there's, there's a lot of power in technology. And, you know, I'm, I'm all-knowing, you know, there's a billion websites that you can connect to and get information, information. So what this, what this, what this kind of looks like in our experience is we rely on our phones a lot more in a lot of cases than we rely on God. Because we think, well, I can know it. I can just Google it. I can do it with technology. And it's always available as long as I got a good connection. And, you know, 5G is right around the corner. So our phones are the all-inclusive device that begin to rival the all-inclusive Christ. This is so true in our experience. That's why, you know, people talk about the, just the kind of like the almost knee-jerk reaction of your hand just going to your pocket to, is it, is it still there? You know, the phone's still there. And you leave home without it, and people have done studies that the, the brain regions, the regions in your brain are the same regions in your brain uh, activated with romantic relationships towards your phone. There was one study that did, that did even without seeing your phone, feeling your phone vibrate, the same romantic regions of your brain lit up. Yeah, and this is true of all of us. Anyways, it just shows us we really uh, need to think about how we're using our technology. Okay, so every technological innovation is a new invitation for renewed biblical contemplation. So every time there's a new technological innovation, we should think of it as a New invitation for renewed biblical contemplation. What does the Bible say to this? How, do we should, how should we think about this as Christians so that we can use our technology and not abuse our technology? Okay, real quick, let's, let's look at a biblical overview of technology, okay? I think this will help us, again, approach this issue. So, so far we've looked at why should we think about this. Um, now we want to think, of, think about it in, well, how does the Bible kind of frame this question? Let's read number one together. Ready, set, go. Okay, have you ever thought about it like this? God's commission to man in the Garden of Eden implies and presupposes human development of technology. All right, where can we see this? Where can we see in the Garden what God told man to do? It implies what man's going to have to do is create tools. What do we got? Yeah, work the ground. How are you going to work the ground with your hands? 
So God's original creation of man, now this is on a very human level. You know, I know we normally talk about God's creation of man from the very exalted, big picture, spiritual purpose. But, you know, when, when God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, he was talking about having kids. And, you know, we can apply that spiritually to reproducing spiritually through the gospel. But um, right here, God says work the ground. And to work the ground, that implies and presupposes that man is an intelligent, rational being in the image of a creator. He's going to be a kind of a creator and to create tools to unlock the potential of this earth and make the world better, make, make humanity better, make, you know, express God in that. So think about it. He, he has to make tools. So technology is, is literally, all it is, is the reordering of earth. You get a tool, you know, you get, you start out with like, you know, first like a shovel or something, you know, I don't know, a spade. That, you know, you reshape wood and stone, basically. Have you ever thought about your iPhone as reordered earth? That's all this is, is reordered earth. Isn't that pretty amazing? This is just earth. Everything in here was created by man. Okay, so this is very good. This is pre-fallen world. So God is, is you know, in, in a sense, anticipating and expecting man to develop tools. Okay, number two, let's read this one. The Lord sovereignly guides human history and the technology. Okay, so the Lord sets it in motion. Work the ground, work the ground. That implies you're going to create tools. Then, throughout all of human history, he sovereignly guides technological developments for his purpose. Okay, three great examples of this. Number one, the Roman roads. You know, the Romans, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say invented, but they were the first ones to use concrete. I studied architectural engineering at UT. Uh, so that's why they could build in a, in a scale, a monumental scale that surpassed everyone else because of concrete. Concrete and its strength properties. So they've got the arches, they've got the domes, all the things no one could build before them. So that technology, that was a, that was a human technology. How do you use the, you know, the, the Portland cement and the water and the stone and all the stuff to get something very, very, very strong? And they used that to build the Roman road system. And then how did God come in and use that Roman's road system? Through the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Okay, technology number two, that the Lord sovereignly overruled and guided for his purpose was the printing press. And the printing press was coincidentally just invented right at the time that the gospel was being rediscovered and people had a very high level of understanding of the Bible, right? That was totally coincidental that those two events happened simultaneously, the Reformation and the inventing of the printing press. No, the Lord overruled that for the distribution of the Bible. So the God's word could be unlocked and released and disseminated and read. <coughs> so here's another example of how the Lord has sovereignly guided the development of technology for his purpose. Okay, number three, grace. So, okay, so with the roads, we've got what? Gospel. Gospel. With the printing press, we've got what? The Bible. Third obvious example of this is the internet. How's the Lord sovereignly using the internet? Universal fellowship. Universal fellowship. The body of Christ has a potential to be connected in such a immediate way. You know, I know Neil, he travels to Russia 
It's just like, it's just a phone call away. It's just a text away. I mean, if he used it, it's a Snapchat away, right? He'd literally be there with the brothers, videoing, fellowshipping. This is amazing. This is an amazing thing. Okay, I want to read you two quotes from uh, Witness Lee. Listen to this. This is one quote. Who brought about this intricate situation and technological process, progress? Who brought about this intricate situation and technological progress? The Lord did. The Lord did. Who brought about that smartphone? The Lord did for the universal fellowship of the one new man. Here's another quote. All the progress in technology is for the producing of the one new man. All the, pro- all, all the progress in technology is for what? The producing of the one new man. Okay, so again, should we be Amish? No, because the Lord implied this and wanted this in a sense and is sovereignly guiding it. And he's using it for the universal fellowship and, and the distribution of his word and the mass preaching of his gospel to bring one new man into existence. That is so awesome to me. Isn't that awesome? Let's say praise the Lord for the smartphone. If you're using it for the one new man, right? (laughs) I just want to throw that out there. Y'all were kind of like, "Uh, uh, can I say that? Well, if you have this view, right? If you have this view, and if we think about it, like we don't want to be shaped negatively, but we want to have fellowship. And we want to distribute the riches of Christ that we're experiencing through his word. Okay, but number three, look at number three. Without God, man abuses technology for selfish and sinful purposes. So here's where it gets sticky. Without God. Now, the reason I say without God is because the fall happens in Genesis 3. The apple logo is invented, right? (laughs) Adam and Eve, they bite the apple. Now there's a bit apple hanging over all of you know, a bit, a bit in fruit, hanging over all of humanity. In Genesis 4, it says Cain left the presence of Jehovah. He left God's presence. So now he's without God. And he invents a godless culture. And he has three sons who invent three things or develop three things. And we're not going to focus on the first guy who invented uh, cattle raising. But the second two guys really were... were, were uh, technological visionaries. Jubal, is that his name? Yeah, Jubal and Tubal Cain. What did Jubal do? Jubal's where we get the word jubilee, by the way. Jubal invented musical instruments, okay? And Tubal Cain invented weapons. Both of these are technologies. But but without God, we could rebrand these technologies. Remember, without God. So these are ends in themselves. Without God, we've got distraction and destruction. We've just got music as an end in itself to distract me from the toils, the curse, the fall, the mortal situation. Remember, the Lord said, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to be reaping the land. So... Jubal came along and said, hey, we can be distracted. We can be entertained. In 2019, it'd be, we, let's put on some Netflix, you know. But back then, it was like, let's just sing. Let's dance. Let's get around the fire. Let's just, let's jubilate. So this is distraction. So human technology being used for distraction. 
And then Tubal-Cain, for sure, weapons being used for destruction. So you can see how without God, techno technological developments can go south really quickly. Distraction and destruction. I've got Romans 1.30 on here because it says Paul's listing a number of sins. Uh, it's like a catalog of vices. And one of them he throws in there is inventors. Inventors of evil things. So again, you see technolo technology could go awry. And now somebody mentioned it uh, in a session, I think the first session maybe. What is the most evil thing? See, we normally think maybe weapons would be inventors of evil things. <laughs> what, you, what do you got? The devil's the, the most evil thing? Okay, what's the most evil thing the devil can do? What's that? Kill and destroy. That's pretty evil, but that's pretty obviously evil. So that's going to encounter resistance, right, from all the policemen in the world and, you know, the good politicians and, you know, the good Samaritans. They're going to resist. Oh, killing and destroying. Let's try and put a cap on that, right? What's that? Yeah, replace God. How about this one? Waste your time. Which is a replacement of God? You're just wasting your time. Ephesians 5.16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The most evil thing is just to waste your time. And uh, the footnote in the recovery version on this verse says, every day is an evil day full of pernicious things that cause our time to be used ineffectively, to be reduced, and to be taken away. So, you know, again, if you wanted to write this in the 2019 language of a, of a teenager, you would say, mindless scrolling. Mindless scrolling. You're just, you know, for hours, you know, the blue, the blue lit face at night, glaze over eyes, you're in your bed with the covers up, and you're just wasting your time. And we know how easy it is, right, just to get into mindless scrolling mode. So, again, we need to think about just being mindlessly distracted. We have the possibility to miss the whole meaning of life. Okay, so... Um, Okay, so that's, that's kind of how the Bible frames this question. So we, we pretty clear so far? We got our intro, why should we think about this? There's some very obvious reasons why. How does the Bible set up our thinking about this, this, this issue? It sets it up as a very good thing that the Lord's going to use for the one new man, but there's some big pitfalls uh, for technology apart from God, and that's what we're going to look at for the rest of the time now. So this is how is technology negatively affecting us. Let's just read the bold five points. Uh, we are blank, blank, blank. We are, we are, we are. Let's read all five of these. Ready, set, go. We are distracted. We are disconnected. We are depressed. We are distorted desires. Okay, so this is how technology can be abused. Let me just point out 1 Corinthians 7.31 right above that on that last point three. This is a good guiding verse. These, these two verses in Corinthians. 6.12 says, All things are lawful, all things are profitable, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. So we don't want to be under the power of our smartphone. Very easy to be there, right? Just reaching your phone, you're fellowshipping, you're in church, and it's just there's a power, there's a draw that you want to reach for your phone, just see what's going on. You feel it vibrate, and you're like, what's going on? And 731, 1 Corinthians 731 says, I really like this one. Those who use the world would not abuse the world. So again, we should use this, we should think about our smartphones like this. We can use them, but we don't want to abuse them. 
And these five points are mainly on what, what does abuse look like, okay? So we're distracted. So 1 Corinthians 7.35, the Lord, uh, he says, I want you to wait on the Lord without distraction. Wait on the Lord without distraction. Okay, so how many times do you think research, you know, research has shown how many times do you think we reach, reach for, touch, or swipe our smartphones per day? How many times per day do you touch, reach for, swipe, tap on? How many times per day? A thousand? A million. <laughs> yeah, there's always a risk doing this because somebody way overshoots it and you're like, well, okay, it's only 20, you know? <laughs> 2,617 times. So it's not a million, but that's a lot of times per day. 2,600. This is scientific research, guys. This isn't just somebody, you know, watching somebody kind of casually. That's a lot of interactions. That's a lot of distractions. We check our phones once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives. And I was in a, I was, <laughs> I was with some there was some Christians watching a ministry video recently. It was a 50-minute video, and I was kind of into this. So I was just kind of very aware. And I don't recommend doing this. This is very unhealthy if you, if you intentionally do this all the time. But I was just kind of, you know, I was just observing. And the brother next to me checked his phone 12 times in 50 minutes. That's almost exactly 4.3 times. Uh, 4.3 minutes. Every 4.3 minutes. So we're there watching a ministry video. And we, again, we know how easy this is to slip into, right? Okay, so we need to think about this. Um, when you think about this kind of, um, we're, in, we're in a new economy with the, with the development of smartphones. We're in what's called an attention economy, an attention economy. Your attention is a resource. You only have so much of it. You only have so much of it before you're, you're fragmented, you're frazzled, and you, you have no more resources to give. And so in the attention economy, uh, all, all the big corporations, you know, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, they're not your friends. They're trying to make money off of you. That's why they say, you know, when you don't have to sign up for a product, you are the product. And so they're trying to sell advertisements through your nonstop usage. So this is what Sean Parker, the former Facebook president, said. He said, um, when Facebook was being developed, the objective was this. All right, Facebook's being developed. The objective is this. Connect the world, right? Build vibrant communities, right? How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? That's a direct quote. How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? It was this mindset that led to the creation of features such as the like button that would give users a little dopamine hit to encourage them to upload more content. It's a social validation feedback loop. You're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. So this is the, this is the attention economy. They want us to be looking at our phone all the time because that's how they sell ads to us. Okay, this is what the CEO of Netflix said. I love this one. At Netflix, we are competing for our customers' time. So our competitors include Snapchat, YouTube, Sleep. Have you heard of the company of Sleep? Do you, do you uh, get on that IPO of Sleep? You have stock in Sleep? At Netflix, we are competing for our customers' time. So our competitors include Snapchat, YouTube, Sleep. That's a direct quote from this guy. Okay, so this should make us stop and consider what is worth paying attention to. You only have so much attention per day. And it recalibrates in a sense when you go to sleep. So are you, is your smartphone 
supporting your intentions. So you have a lot of things you want to do. You want to learn, you know, uh, about God. You want to study the word. You want to find out what Greek word that is. You want to communicate with somebody or, you know, and for sure on a human level, we have a lot of positive human, non-spiritual ways to use our phone. Is our smartphone supporting our intention or is it sabotaging our attention? Is it sabotaging our attention or is it supporting our intention? Okay, so I was checking with different people. No one had heard the song, but maybe somebody does. This really stuck out to me. I heard this on the radio the other day. 2015 song, and there's this repetitive hook just over and over and over. I can make you put your phone down. And I just thought, I just was thinking about that. This is a song. I can make you put your phone down. I can make you put your phone down. Erica Badu, I can make you put your phone down. And I just thought, that is unbelievable. That shows us the measure of attraction and beauty and desire and interest is measured by can somebody else make you put your phone down? That's how you measure interest, attraction, beauty, engagement, amazement. It's like, oh man, wow, this is worth putting my phone down. Because we know how distracted we are. We're just distracted. Question is, can God make you put your phone down? Can God make you put your phone down? Can God make you put your phone down? Okay. Are our phones preventing us from having deep, living interactions with God? I think we all would say, yes, in some sense they are. They're preventing our deep, living, dramatic interactions with God. So three things on this point, three places not to look at your phone. Number one, morning revival. Okay, this is, you know, this is just obvious, guys. Put it down. Put it in airplane mode. What I do is I put it under the couch. I I literally don't even want it under my leg. I don't want it visible. And there's studies that shows even the visible presence of your phone is triggering your brain because of neuroplasticity. You've been accustomed to looking at your phone, so now your brain knows what your phone can do. Your brain has literally been rewired to expect your phone to do something to you, notify you, beep at you, buzz at you, send you a message. So your brain is expecting it. So if I'm reading the Bible like this and my phone's right here, my brain is half here. Remember, you only have so much attention. So you're going to miss the Lord. Number two, church meetings. Oh, Lord Jesus, church meetings. You got people in church. The living God is appearing. We're supposed to be communing with him, participating jointly in the blood and body of Christ and being built up and consummating this age to bring the Lord back. And we just don't realize where we're at and who we're with and what's happening. Okay, so anyways, that's distraction. we got to move on here, but I, th- I think distraction is a big one, right? Distraction is really the biggest one of all of these. Okay, but number two, we're disconnected. Okay, we're disconnected. And this is, this is the flip side of being distracted. We're distracted from the Lord, and when we get together, we're distracted from each other, and therefore we don't have much deep connections. We have a lot of loose connection, right? We have a lot of loose connection. I kind of know what's, you know, I know what, uh, you know, my, my friend from high school who I haven't seen in 10 years, he's got a new dog. And, you know, I, knew, I just learned the new trick my, his dog could do from my high school friend who I haven't seen in 10 years. That's a very loose connection, right? But not much deep communion there, not much deep connection. Okay, so how connected should we be? 
Look at this verse here, Ephesians 4.16. How connected we should be. Joined together and knit together. Okay, so everyone look at your shirt. Everyone look at your shirt right now. You see how connected those threads are? That's how connected we should be with the members of the body of Christ. Like a shirt, like threads. I can't even see the threads. But it's very possible to be with brothers and sisters, and you just don't have that much connection because we're on our phones. How do we get more connection? I love 2 John 12. Look at this. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I'm hoping to be with you and to speak face to face that our joy may be made full. So there's always the temptation just to text, just to Snapchat, just to, you know, communicate online. But we were designed to have face-to-face interactions, and face-to-face interactions bring fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. So write this little abbreviation down, FEMI, F-I-M-I, FEMI, easy to remember, FEMI, frequent, in-person, meaningful interactions. This is what we need. This is what uh, one uh, psychologist recommended. What would you recommend? How can people be more connected? In the, we're in the loneliest generation right now, 18 to 25-year-olds are the loneliest generation in America. What do they need to do to be connected? They need to have frequent, in-person, meaningful interactions. Frequent, in-person, meaningful interactions. In other words, we need to get face-to-face. You need to get face-to-face. Okay, and I was thinking of this in terms of reality and community. Number one really undermines reality. We're distracted when we're with the Lord, when we're reading the Word, we're in the meetings of the church. We're distracted. That undermines reality. Disconnected undermines community, right? And it's in our nature to, our nature is communal because we're created in the image of an us. We're created in the triune God's image. And so it's woven into our nature to need community. So why don't we have community? I thought of three reasons, because of our phone. Number one, we're bored with the real world because the online world is more vivid, more exciting, more fast-paced. So just the real world is a little boring. You know, if you're watching this video online, you, you know, there might be multiple camera angles and maybe like, you know, very vivid uh, um, contrast and it's just you know you watch a movie it's like the camera change camera angles changing every like three seconds every three seconds and so it's just it's just easy just to be like wow it's pretty slow pretty boring so I'd rather look at my phone so we're bored so we look at our phone number two we think we don't need the people around us because we can always google it right we can always google it uh, there's always going to be something more interesting online there's always going to be somebody uh, more, more interesting, someone, more, uh, someone smarter online. So we just default to our phone. And number three, updating the masses on social media is easier than connecting in person in profound ways. So it's easier just to tweet out, you know, to post, oh, I'm having a campfire, than to actually be there at the campfire forming deep, meaningful, engaging relationships. Okay, so we should uh, keep moving here, but I think everyone understands we're disconnected. Here's a few stats before we move on, though. One in five Americans reported rarely or never feeling close to others. One in five Americans. Two in five Americans sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful. Think about that. Two in five people in America always 
or sometimes feel their relationships are not meaningful. Listen to this one. In 2015, 12th graders were going out less often than 8th graders. Why? Why are 12th graders going out less often than 8th graders? That means 8th graders going out more with their friends than 12th graders are. What are 12th graders doing? They're on their phone, in their room, alone and often distressed. That's a quote from a psychologist. What are they doing? iGen teens have more leisure time. What are they doing with all that time? They're on their phone, in their room, alone and often distressed. What's the toll of loneliness? Loneliness has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This is science, guys. Loneliness has the same impact on your mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Why is it so impactful? Why is it so detrimental to not be connected? Because you're going against the grain of your nature. You have a communal need in your nature. You were, you were created to manifest the triune God. And so there needs to be in the body of Christ a level of connectedness, interdependence, oneness that expresses the triune God. And that can only be possible if we start thinking about how's our smartphone usurping this. Okay, let's go to number three here. We're depressed. Let's read these two verses. Ready, set, go. Turn toward me and be gracious, for I am alone and afflicted. A tranquil heart is life to the flesh. Okay, so, you know, this is just kind of a, uh, all of this kind of flows together. Your reality is undermined. You're disconnected from community. So you're depressed. And this makes you vulnerable, right? This makes you vulnerable. You're seeking affirmation. You're seeking validation. And uh, a lot of times you begin seeking it uh, from non-Christian friends, non-Christian communities, um, because you're just depressed. And so a lot of times the, the approach people take to try and get out of depression, um, and I'm not talking about clinical depression here. That's a whole other you know, discussion. But just kind of low grade, just kind of out of it. Man, no one likes me. Just, you know, FOMO. Everyone's doing something better, you know. Why didn't they invite me, you know. You're not there, and it's hashtag all my best friends. And you're like, ooh. And then if you're a female, it's you're not there, and it's hashtag all my beautiful friends. And you're like, ooh. You know, so you just, anyways, we're depressed. And so, you know, normally kind of what we do is we try and post something else to try and get validation to try and, you know, stroke that need. Okay, so. One, um, one psychologist, she said, all screen activities, listen to this, why are we depressed? All screen activities are linked to less happiness. All of them. All screen activities. And all non-screen activities are linked to more happiness. If you were going to give advice for a happy adolescence based on this survey, it would be straightforward. Put down the phone, turn off the laptop, and do something, anything that does not involve a screen. So we're depressed because we're just on our screens too much. So very, very, very easy. Number two, why are we depressed? Comparison. Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy. So our phones let us tabulate our comparisons in a very unhealthy way because we you just look at how many likes. You look at who's there and you're not there. You look at the hashtags. You look at their beautiful life. And so this is, you know, very unhealthy. But it's very easy to do with our smartphones. 
Okay, number three reason you're, you're depressed is you're sleep deprived. So too much screen time, too much comparison, and you're on your screen so much you lose sleep. You're literally sleep deprived. And sleep deprived is linked to anxiety, weight gain, illness, high blood pressure, and depression. So again, depression uh, is, you know, more screen time, more unhappiness. Less screen time, less, more happiness. So, okay, and I'll give you all a few ways here in a second. What can we do? But let's look at the fourth one here. We develop distorted desires. So on our phones, it's very easy to, uh, you know, based on the people we follow, based on the websites we go to, based on the shows we watch, we're immersed in these things almost all the time, that we develop distorted desires. And the key here is our heart. Look at Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it are the issues of life. Issues of life means everything that's flowing out of your life is flowing out of your heart. And the thing we need to realize is our hearts are not impermeable. Our hearts are porous. And so if we're steeping our hearts in the liquid of the world, you know, the waters of the world, 24-7, we shouldn't be surprised if we love the world. And our, our hearts, you know, our desires are being distorted towards different enjoyments, not the enjoyment of Christ. So it's like, mar- this was an example that was just in my head. It's like, what if you were mar- marinating chicken in teriyaki sauce? for 24 hours and you took it out for one hour and you put it back in for 24 more hours you took it out for one hour put it back in for 24 more hours what do you think the chicken's going to taste like why you took it out for an hour okay this is us we live online we live in social media we live on netflix for hours and hours and hours and we said well i went to bible study for an hour man i spent a whole two hours at church why don't I love the Lord? Man, your chicken's in teriyaki sauce. You can't take it out for an hour. You can't just take it out for an hour. So this is, this, I mean, this is helpful. We're steeping our heart in the waters of the world. Teriyaki sauce for 24 hours. And we go to the meeting for one hour. And we go, oh, that was a great Bible say. And we're back in the world online on our phone. And we're like, man, I don't understand. I'm, I'm reading the Bible for, you know, 10 minutes every night. Every night, 10 minutes. You were 10 hours that day, maybe, you know, on your screen in some way. Okay, so this is, you know, this is, uh, anyways, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And so, again, this is our mirror of your heart. So think about, think about your heart standing behind you yeah. and this being the mirror of your heart. You can't see your heart. Has anybody seen your psychological heart, your deepest desires, your loves? How do you know what they are? Look at the screen, man. Your heart is being projected to your eyes by the mirror in front of you. Our smartphones, our smartphone screens are mirrors of our heart. It's how you see what's in your heart. Where your screen, what your screen is showing you, is showing you what's in your heart. So the things you go, the places you go, the things you look at, the things you tweet, the things you like. You need to think about that. Is a, it's like we just hooked up your heart to a, a you know, a, medical machine and it's just you know it's just showing you this is your heart right here okay so we don't want to be fashioned according to the age okay lastly here we don't read and uh pretty much out of time so we'll just kind of go through this really really briefly and end but if we're not reading deeply if we're not reading deeply in undistracted ways what we're missing here is um the transformative power 
of the Lord's word that can change our desires. His life has power to change a man. And also we're missing, we're not tuned in to the story we're actually a part of. God wrote us in as a major character in his story. You know what your role is? You're the bride in the divine romance. But if we're not reading deeply and engaging the story and being transformed by the life power in the word to be shaped into the character we're meant to be in God's story, again, no wonder we're living in a different story. We're living out as a, as a different character in a different story. Okay, so real quick, seven practical helps. I'm just going to read through these. Some of these are going to be obvious, uh, but we're out of time. Uh, and again, I said this is, this is just kind of an intro, <laughs> intro discussion to help us start thinking about, you know, how is our phone shaping us uh, negatively, and how can it be used positively? Well, here's some practical tips. Number one, you should do a notifications audit. Do a notifications audit on your phone. In other words, go through all your apps. Do you really need every single notification on? Because remember, we're distracted. So if all of your notifications are on and it's always buzzing and dinging and, and you're looking at it, one simple practical help, this is not spiritual, is do a notifications audit. Turn some of those things off. Do you really need the breaking headlines from three newspapers notifying you? I don't think you do. You can always... Swipe right and see the news, but you don't need it on your notifications. Okay, number two, no phone 30 minutes beginning the day and ending the day. No phone for 30 minutes at the beginning and the end of the day. So you wake up for 30 minutes, it's just a break. It's a break. 30 minutes before bed, it's a break. So don't go to sleep, you know, texting, you know, watching, posting, liking, scrolling. Don't go to sleep like that. You need a 30-minute buffer zone when you wake up to touch the Lord and you go to bed to touch the Lord. Number two, should be obvious, but turn on airplane mode when you sleep. Turn on airplane mode when you sleep. And then you're going to wake up, and your phone's going to be on airplane mode, and you got 30-minute window to touch the Lord. Amen. That's plenty of time to make coffee, sit on the couch, and touch the Lord for 10 minutes before anything else has, has entered your heart. One survey I looked at with 8,000 Christians said 75% of those 8,000 Christians check email and social media before morning revival. So if you're on airplane mode and you got a 30-minute window, hey, this is going to save you. Okay, number four, determine screen-free places. It's something only you can do. It's up to you. But determine in your life these are screen-free places. And I've got three recommendations. Number one, your dinner table. So, of course, a lot of you guys are in college, but still, with your roommates. No phones at the dinner table. You're at, you're at a restaurant. No phones. Number two, the bathroom. I'm serious. I see so many people on their phone in the bathrooms. Take a break, man. <laughs> Give your brain a two-minute refresh. <laughs> I see at the urinals, the guys are standing there. In the stalls, you see them through the little crack. <laughs> Come on, man. Take a break in the bathroom. It's just an easy screen-free time, man. Let your brain think about anything else. Think about life. Think about trees. You know, think about how does, how does gravity work. Think about a verse you heard. The point is we need breaks. We need breaks. We need Sabbaths. We need fastings, digital fasts. Number three screen-free screen free place, church meetings. Just get it off, man. And again, don't, don't even, maybe don't even leave it in your pocket. 
because it's, you're feeling, and remember, your, your cognitive, your attention, every buzz is going there. So it's detracting. So put in your purse, put in your bag, put it into the chair. Okay, number five, have a phone alternative for your free time. In other words, develop hobbies. You need something to do instead of just scroll through your phone. So learn how to play chess. Learn how to play sports, you know. Learn how to paint. Learn how to play the guitar. Anything to develop your, human, your humanity and your potential in society and then ultimately in the church. So have phone alternatives. Number six, practice being fully present to others. So when you're with people, practice. Just practice. I want to have a 10-minute conversation with Will without looking at my phone. And studies have shown that at seven minutes, you can only get seven minutes with chit-chat. You can only get seven minutes with going through the weather and, you know, you know how's school and you know, how's grades and how's your family. It's at seven minutes that you've got to commit to a deeper conversation. So that means at seven minutes mark, you have to ask a question. You have to go deeper in your relationship. But practice being fully present to others. Number seven, this one's real radical, but it's very helpful. Do a 30-day fast from unneeded social media to develop perspective and wisdom. 30-day fast, and it may really help you. And then, I'm not saying delete it permanently, but after 30 days, you're going to use it in probably a very renewed way with new perspective and new wisdom. Okay, guys, so we went over five minutes, but that's what we got. Um, let me just mention this. You got a tiny URL at the bottom. Those are my full notes because uh, we didn't have time to go through everything. If you want more resources, go there, and it's yours. All right, guys, it's time for dinner. Praise the Lord.